0: Welcome to the Insurance Post Podcast. I'm Emran Hughes, editor of Insurance Post, and today I am joined by Consumer Intelligence's Catherine Carey, the Association of British Insurers Jonathan Purvis, Chris David Scott, and Procurato's John Gaynor to talk about pet insurance. Today on the Insurance Post Podcast, I'm joined by Catherine Carey, Head of Consumer Strategy at Consumer Intelligence, Jonathan Purvis, policy advisor in the Association of British Insurers General Insurance Team, David Scott, sales consultancy manager at CRIF, and John Gaynor, commercial director of Procurato Limited. They're going to reflect on why pet insurance payouts hit a record 1 billion in 2022, according to ABI data, and are claims costs and premiums likely to continue to soar? Hi, Catherine, Jonathan, David and John. Welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. Hi, So, um, Jonathan, what's causing veterinary treatment costs to increase and what impact is this having on pet insurers?
1: Um, Well, I think the cost of pet insurance largely reflects the high cost of veterinary treatment, um, which includes, you know, drugs, diagnostic equipment, various different tests the vets carry out. Um, And over, I suppose, the last few years, there's been a lot of advancement um, in the kind of pet treatments available, the number of treatments available, uh, the complexity of them, which are, you know... Coming, as it's more expensive uh, to carry out. Um, so the cost of pet insurance largely reflects that, but it's not the the, the only cost um, of pet insurance. There's a number of different factors that I suppose impact premiums. So it could be the type of pet insurance policy you have, the kind of age of your pet, your breed of your pet, um, as well as you know the claims history of the pet, any kind of conditions or illnesses they've had in the past. So I think while veterinary treatment is a very high uh, factor that is impacting uh, premiums. Um, I think it needs to be taken into account all the other factors.
0: John, can you explain how inflation is impacting pet insurance premiums?
2: Yeah I think that um, what we're seeing from our customers is that uh, there's a lot of investment having to go into starting to deliver new digital services to customers. That's got to be paid for somehow and I think that that is driving inflation alongside some real challenges, which I think we'll probably talk about later, in terms of um, how, hard, how hard, how challenging insurers are finding it to model their claims and therefore to get their premiums um, set correctly. Mm. The data's pretty cloudy and it's a really different space from a claims perspective from the one that they would conventionally see, say, in motor or in property.
0: And Catherine, what else is increasing costs?
3: Well, in terms of the the rise, it's important to note that Pet insurance isn't rising as fast as other personal lines products. So, in motor, you've got over 50% um, increase in premiums on average. At the new business market, home, it's 25% and up. Pet overall is only 6%. It's the higher level, uh, the cover level products that are seeing more um, inflation. Uh, but with the level of claims costs we're seeing, we expect that to accelerate.
0: Mm. I mean as John touched on and um, David how are you know there's lots of kind of advancements in this kind of in the type of this cover so David how are pet insurers going beyond simply playing paying claims to provide additional support to all policyholders?
4: I think what we're seeing from our clients is that it's moving more and more away from the, the traditional model of insurance where you Take a policy out with a, the with a policyholder, and then you literally don't talk to them until it's either a claim or the renewal. I think pet insurers now is moving much more towards the, I don't know, the health insurance model where there's a lot more um, added value services provided throughout the life lifetime of the policy. So we've got things like free uh, video calls with vets, we've got consultations with dog behaviour experts, uh, free dog training, rewards, that kind of thing. So all, all of those are aimed at. Uh, improving the overall solution to the consumer for sure, um, but there's also a uh, an element of trying to prevent or reduce the possibility of a claim in the future. Um, so I think pet insurance policies on the whole have, have really changed in the last few years and I expect that to continue in the next couple of years to be honest.
0: And John, how are you seeing insurers connecting with vets to improve the claims process?
2: I think for quite a long time there's been an attempt to engage, but again it's a, it's a very difficult and different supply chain. We did some research, uh, some original research recently where we talked to um, claims handlers from 11 different insurers in the UK and the, some, of the, some, some of the challenges, so they're trying but some of the challenges are really stark, um, 75% of the respondents said that it took over half a day to validate cover on a claim, which is an incredibly long time for what often are relatively straightforward claims. But I think that what, it, what we are seeing is the emergence of the, the kind of super vet type organisation more willing to engage with insurers on a more conventional basis, that is to set up relationships with them, to start to exchange data in a better way. But still, that's a real, real challenge. Very few of our respondents suggested at all that the information that went into or that they got from the, pet, from the vet or from the customer was able to be captured by the claims system easily. So there's a long way to go, but there's no doubt there's a lot of effort going into it.
0: Catherine, would you agree there's a kind of steady improvement in that area?
3: Well, the uh, CMA investigations came out last week, which is a very timely um, thing, especially for this conversation. Um, I think the relationship between insurers and vets could potentially change as a result of this investigation. We know that um, in terms of market share, there is one big leader in pet insurance, and Dependent on the outcome of the investigation, it could be an opportunity for other brands to move into this space, create better relationships with vets, um, and potentially win more business in a
1: space.
0: And Jonathan, would you agree that what what will be the impact of the um, CMA's looking into veterinary costs?
1: Um, I mean, it's it's only as we've mentioned, it's, it was only announced last week. It was, I think the timeline is early 2024 for when they'll release their findings. So. I mean, I don't so have a crystal ball on what they'll you know they'll find, um but as I said, it's still early stages, and we've kind of are taken soundings from our members and kind of what their views are um and I suppose going back to the previous question about how vets are kind of or vets and insurers are collaborating or connecting, um we have seen you know some insurers partnering with- specific uh, vet practices to kind of kind of similar to motor insurance or home insurance where you have approved repairers to kind of give them more control over the costs and make sure the quality of treatment uh, that the pets are receiving is to a good standard. Um, and even we've seen some insurers um, kind of set up their own in-house vets. So when there is, is a claim, in, the insured will contact the, the insured directly and they'll signpost them to a vet where you know they can be guaranteed of the different quality and uh, I suppose as well controlling over costs.
0: As you touched on there John, lots of opportunities and lessons to learn from other personal lines and businesses um, and to bring into the pet insurance space. Um, To conclude, David what do you see as the further challenges and opportunities that the pet insurance market faces in the next 12 months?
4: Well I think you've mentioned one of the opportunities which is to learn lessons from other sectors, you know motor and household and personal injury and and John mentioned data as, as one important factor potentially and, and data in the pet insurance sector is difficult to come by for various reasons. Um, we're certainly trying to work with all of the pet insurers to improve that and to take the lessons from motor predominantly but household as well to to see how we can, we can aid them um, and that's aid the insurers and also the policyholders. I mean there's still loads of opportunities, there's no doubt that it's a growing sector. Um, you know there's still a really low percentage of animals that are actually insured I think various figures suggest it's 10 to 15 percent something like that so there is opportunity for these insurers to um, to grow um, and there's improvements and opportunities with with technology as well both you know connecting with vets connecting with policy orders, and also wearable tech has been something that's been talked about within this sector for a few years Um I don't think anyone's ever yet at least really got to grips with it but I think that could be a potential opportunity in the in the coming years.
0: You've made me think of a dog wearing an, um, uh, an Apple watch now that's, that's the only that's the image that's conjured that's exactly up in my mind. Maybe not Apple. But. <laughs> <laughs> I struggle to get my children to wear a watch let alone <laughs> the dog. Um, Catherine what do you see as the further challenges and opportunities in this space in the next 12 months?
3: There's one huge challenge on the horizon and that is the consumer duty. Mm. The FCA is going to come knocking not might will come knocking on the pet insurance market's door for many different reasons Uh, the pet insurance market is unique in the fact that customers generally don't shop around they don't switch products when they get a pet they are recommended very few insurance um, brands to go with and once they've gone with their insurer they are stuck it doesn't matter how much they're paying, whether they've got the right cover, you can't go and switch your policy two years later because you're only gonna end up paying more. Um, you've also got four types of policies on the market, one of which is actually probably the only one that meets consumer needs and delivers good outcomes. Why are there three types of products in the market that could leave customers at financial detriment? So there's lots of questions to answer, and I think the FCA is probably only just learning about what the problems exist. John, would you agree?
2: I would. Um, and uh, I think that Catherine's absolutely right when she says that uh, people, not just the FCA, but also insurers are learning about this. I see the consumer duty as, um, as one of the biggest levers. And to join the two comments already made, getting the data to understand whether you're delivering good customer outcomes for your clients, and then considering that in so many cases, and this is, you know, I've seen it myself, that you end up with a bill that you didn't expect. For treatment that already happened before the insurer authorised it, because of the way the, the claim cycle works, can only lead to a spate, I say, fear, of poor outcome claims, and that's that, that. Those are both the opportunities. Fix it by getting good data, and the challenge is be ready to accept that your customers are going to start have a have a mechanism now to start calling out when they're unhappy beyond Facebook, Twitter, and other social media avenues.
0: Jonathan, would you agree those are the challenges and opportunities facing the market? And what can insurers do to address them?
1: Yeah, I, would, I agree to an extent. Um, consumer duty is, uh, I suppose, a big challenge for all insurers across many different lines, um, as is, I suppose, the continuing cost of living crisis. But I think they're also, while presenting challenges, um, in particular, I suppose, for insurers, kind of showing the value of the product, um, which I think many are you know, starting to adapt with, as, we, as we've mentioned, kind of the more preventative aspect. Cover um, and you know trying to prevent claims from happening. Um, also, so there's other risks of kind of so it's insurance is probably a, quite a big risk, um, particularly if consumers are kind of just looking at at price and not really what um, their policy covers. Um, when it comes to claim, that could present some challenges. As well as I suppose uh, people not just not purchasing insurance, maybe deciding to um, put the money aside and save or self-insure. Um, for when or if uh, the pet gets ill, Um, but I suppose some of the opportunities are as we mentioned firms adapting their kind of cover, expanding their cover options, um, which we have seen I think some new entrants into the market kind of um, I know pre-existing health conditions was a major exclusion and then there's some new entrants who kind of just didn't have that um, and it's kind of forced the other insurers in the market to adapt. Um, So I think There are challenges, but there's also a lot of opportunities in the next 12 months.
0: Mm, Clearly lots of change ahead for, um, for the market. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Insurance Post podcast. I'd like to thank Catherine, Jonathan, David and John for joining us and sharing their insight on the current state of the pet insurance market. As always, also thanks to you for listening to the Insurance Post podcast. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to Insurance Post and following us on Facebook, LinkedIn and X. Make sure you come back next week for a discussion of how to spot a fraudulent insurance claim. Until then, this is Emran Hughes, signing off. The Insurance Post podcast is a product of InfoPro Digital.